Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. So we rolled into Friday thinking, wow, we got a big show to get to, and we certainly did, and thought that things might cool off a little over the weekend, you know, have some final week of the regular season results to talk about, but oh my goodness, do we have more to get to today. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind and you're in North Mississippi, let Mississippi Land Bank help. That's what they do. Been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. Find a branch location or grab the phone number and give them a call. Again, the website, mslandbank.com. Michael Borky, what a weekend. Yeah, well, it, what's funny is I was sitting down Saturday night thinking, you know, the Iron Bowl was awesome. And there's some storylines out of Ohio State, Michigan, and maybe we'll talk about who should be number four if all of this happens. But really, Rivalry Saturday didn't really have a whole lot. So Monday's show is going to be kind of boring. And then, whoa, we get the vote of confidence and the contract extension in Starkville, which was big news because before the game, people were thinking that that wasn't going to happen. And then, whatever. And then the bigger news is we have another coaching search. What a wild turn of events from Saturday night until right now. Hey, Dad, it's almost like a little bit of a role reversal from where we thought we were at about, oh, three or four o'clock on Thursday afternoon to uh, where we ended up about seven o'clock last night. Yeah, complete 180. You know, I thought, especially after uh, Saturday morning when everything starts breaking, that Joe Moorhead is indeed going to be back and they've extended his contract and, and so on and so forth. I thought, okay. We're going to lead with that on Monday, and then, man, I don't have anything to say for about the next hour looking at the rundown. I just got to sit there and nod my head. You know, I was thinking about this, and I don't know if it was when I was talking with Gallo this morning or another interview that I was doing, and there's this school of thought that is out there that the result of the Egg Bowl matters more or means more to Mississippi State. And if you believe that, I won't argue with you one way or the other. But the idea that decisions aren't made, at least in part at Ole Miss, based on the results of that game, are just false. It's just not true. Because if Ole Miss wins that game on Thursday night, I do not believe you're sitting in the spot that you're sitting in today And, again, going back to the whole role reversal idea, hey, Dad, I don't think Mississippi State is sitting in the place that it's sitting in today. They're probably not wrong. 
You know, I, when we get to it, I mean, I think that John Cohen was always leaning towards bringing Joe Moorhead back, but the win just made that a much easier and more palatable uh, decision for him. And then with Luke, you know, I think with a win, he's probably still the head coach. And I think even with a loss, if you don't lose the game the way you lose it, maybe, maybe you know, if he'd gone for two and just came up short, maybe maybe not the same. I don't know. But you're you're definitely right. Anybody who tries to play it off as one side likes is more – uh, into it than the other is just wrong. Rippy, I would say that major decisions usually are the confluence of a bunch of events. You know, that there's not necessarily one thing that causes a decision to be made, but Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point, is about there usually is some event that ultimately puts it over the top. Was the Egg Bowl that event for Ole Miss and this decision to move on from Matt Luke and move in a new direction? Yeah, I mean, I think to some degree probably it was probably the tipping point. I mean, Ole Miss kind of woke up on Friday morning as a national punchline after what happened Thursday night. So, you know, I mean, it's a simplistic way to put it, but, like, I mean, he got the job because Nick Fitzgerald hurt his leg, and then he lost it in part because Elijah Moore hiked his. So, like, yes, I, I do think that that was probably the tipping point. Iron Bowl was absolutely fantastic on Saturday. If you predicted 48-45 Auburn going in, congratulations. You are a, a wealthy person, especially if you put dollars specifically on that outcome. I don't think you can find anybody that thought that was quite what you were going to get. Our picks were kind of all over the place. Michael Borky was six and two in the eight games that we picked. Uh, Haydad was also six and two. Borky missed on Louisville against Kentucky and Vanderbilt against Tennessee. Haydad missed on Alabama, Auburn, and Wait, Minnesota, they didn't cover? Wisconsin. Who? Vanderbilt. Oh, they did cover, didn't they? Bandy did cover. You're right. Sorry, Borky was seven and one. Forgive me. Damn, go. He he was the only one out of our crew that did that. So Borky goes seven and one on the weekend. Haydad missed on Alabama and Minnesota. Rippy missed on South Carolina, Clemson, Louisville, Kentucky, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and I was terrible. Uh, I missed on Michigan, Ohio State, which was dumb. Georgia Tech, Georgia, dumb. Louisville, Kentucky, and Alabama, Auburn. So I went four and four. Actually, I didn't. I went four and. Hold on. Never mind. We all had Tennessee. I got all those so wrong. We had another. Haydad went five and three. Too. Rippy went four and four, and I went three and five. But Borky, we was had another seven. correct prediction. I got a DM this morning that said Brian Scott Rippy on Thursday's show said this game is going to be terrible. I can't wait to watch both teams wet their pants. He got it. You said that on Thursday. I think I may have said that on Haydad's podcast. I'm not sure. I said ah, okay. that on air. Wait. All right. I don't know. I don't. I don't remember. But you said it, and I, you deserve happened, the credit for it. Yes, I said it somewhere with the microphone in front of me. I don't know if it was on your show or on this one, but I do remember saying that. That didn't feel like more. That felt like less of a prediction and more of like, I don't know, me being a prophet. Like that seemed pretty pretty much guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, let's walk through a quick timeline. So Egg Bowl Thursday night. Obviously a crazy ending. Mississippi State wins 21-20. to Don't know what might would have happened in overtime. You don't know that Luke Logan would have made a short extra point to tie it at 21 and send it to overtime, but none of that came into play. Mississippi State wins the game. Joe Moorhead is passionate post-game. 
Ole Miss is frustrated post-game. Friday basically goes without incident, although you were starting to get some murmurs that whatever belief there was that Joe Moorhead was not going to be the head coach at Mississippi State, that seemed to be trending in the opposite direction. And nobody on Friday, despite frustration and disappointment among Ole Miss fans, really thought that there was going to be a change at Ole Miss. On Saturday, you know, you're doing the game day thing, you're hanging out with your family, maybe post-Thanksgiving, maybe you're celebrating Thanksgiving on Saturday. And you get the early games with Ohio State, Michigan, and some of the other games that were on television, Georgia, Georgia Tech. And then later in the afternoon on Saturday, there started to be some whispers, some rumblings, that maybe something was happening with Ole Miss. But, at least from my perspective, when I started digging on it a little bit, I couldn't find anything or anybody that was ready to say, oh yeah, something's happening. But that question was at least out there. On, I had reached out to a couple of people on Saturday night, and it was like, yeah, I just don't think that's the case. Well, one of the people that I had reached out to got back to me on Sunday about lunchtime and said, hey, that question you were asking yesterday, all of a sudden it's got some relevance, which kind of put my antenna up, and there were some others that were starting to hear some things and kind of work on some stuff somewhere between about lunchtime and 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon, based on the timeline that I've been able to put together. The decision was made that Ole Miss was going to go in a different direction. And then by about 5.30 or 6 last night, the news was really starting to leak out. Uh, You got confirmation by about 6 or 6.30. There was a team meeting at about 8 o'clock last night in which uh, Keith Carter addressed uh, some percentage of the Ole Miss football team. Not everybody was back in town, including John Rice Plumley, who arrived about the time the, uh, the meeting was ending. And, yes, there were some players who walked out of the meeting. Rippy, you were there, not obviously in the meeting, but kind of in the area. That narrative may have been overblown a little bit, but it certainly is one that national people have latched onto. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, people did walk out and people were angry, but I think it was more so one of those things from someone that was in the meeting. It was more so like broke, like told them the news, do you have any questions, and then they kind of frustratedly walked out. Um just kind of not wanting to hear anything else. So it wasn't like the like Keith or whoever's talking in mid-sentence and they're just storming out. It was more of like, if you have any questions, feel free to ask. And People, I guess, that didn't have questions, didn't feel like sticking around and kind of walked out in frustration. But, I mean, I, I, I don't know any other place where the reaction would be that much different. I mean, if you tell yeah. a bunch of kids their coach is going to get fired, they're not going to be... They're not going to be wanting to sit around for like a rah-rah speech. Uh, unless it's a coach that everybody hates which Matt Luke absolutely was not, then I think that's the reaction you're going to get. You're going to get the uh, emotional reaction from players who said, well, it was moving in the right direction, and what's this going to do to the recruiting class? And you got all of those reactions last night. Keith Carter was asked today, you know, approximately how many people walked out of the meeting, and he said he thought it was eight or nine people. He said it was emotional. He said he didn't hold it against anybody and had even gotten some messages from some players who said, hey, I wish I had done that a little bit differently. A lot of angles to talk about in Oxford and in Starkville as we move through the show this afternoon in the Renaissance Bank Studio at Sports Talk Mississippi. 
Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. You can text the show. Give us your thoughts. What did you think about from the weekend? If you're a Mississippi State fan, Joe Moorhead staying. You excited about that? You're not excited about that. Give us your thoughts. Or Ole Miss, obviously now looking for a new football coach and plenty to uh, plenty to get to in that. Uh, some of your thoughts on the C Spire text line. Luke was used as a scapegoat to get him through because nobody else would take the job. Well, that's not true. Someone else did take the job. Was going to. Took it. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Josh and Laurel says Ole Miss made a bad decision. Howland Starkville says, think Luke and Florida State ex-coach sitting on a beach marveling at their matching $17 million buyouts, and in Ole Miss's case, who scratches that check? Um, It's not a $17 million buyout. It's somewhere in the neighborhood of $9 million, payable over four years. Now, with Willie Taggart, I don't know what exactly his number was, Um. Part of the deal, though, when this is the uh, the business that you are in. Um, let's see here. Uh, somebody pointed out that uh, Borky won a stake from me. Yeah, I did. You did. Hey, Dad has alternate plans for you, though. He thinks you should not actually collect on your stake. Now, y'all paid that bet off in Birmingham. No, you owe me another stake. Oh, wait, Texas. yeah, from LSU, Texas, so I do owe you one. Yes, I'm owed two stakes. I still think I got that one right, even though I didn't. <laughs> yeah, the numbers say otherwise. Yeah. The numbers say otherwise. All right, so uh, let's ask some questions, kind of uh, some jumping-off points. Uh, Rippy, was the move that Keith Carter and Ole Miss made the right move at the right time? I mean, I think right and wrong is fairly subjective here, but I think it's probably going to end up being beneficial for them long-term because them enduring another season where, one, they were probably going to struggle out of the gate given the schedule. Two, more so than anything, it was about apathy and people not showing up to games and people not being invested in the fan base. Luke was behind the eight ball on that from day one because he was hired as a 30-something. Was he 40 when he was hired? Is he 30 younger than 40? Whatever. Uh, offensive line coach had never been a coordinator before, was seen as underwhelming hire, particularly, and this is to no fault of his own, the way it kind of came about. So he was behind the eight ball and fan support in the first place. And, you know, in 2017 when he was hired, there were very few ways this was going to end well. Following Hugh Freeze and having being able to win at a level that's, one, going to get the fan base to buy in, and two, just kind of to follow up what had happened before, it was just very unrealistic given the set of circumstances he was dealing with at the time. The NCAA stuff, you know, he goes through two years without his own staff, which I guess is partially his his doing, but just the circumstances, the odds of him winning big and this being sustainable long-term were very small. Now, if you'd maybe bet at the time, I probably would have said 2020 was when this kind of came to an end, and of course it came to an end a year early. So it probably ended up being the right move. They've got to sell tickets. They've got to fill up the stadium. They've got to get people interested in um, but, you know, he kind of caught a raw deal here, too, in the same thing. But, again, it's kind of the business they're in, and he will be paid handsomely for catching that raw deal. If somebody at Super Talk would like to fire me for $9 million, I will leave now. 
you know, interestingly enough, if Matt Luke only serves the one year as the interim head coach and has the results that he had, where they go six and six, I mean, you could look at games and go, well, maybe they should have been better than six and six, but that was not a bowl eligible team. It was a six and six football team where they played hard all the way throughout and they had a really exciting win at the end of the year. Arkansas is really the only game in that one where you felt like they probably should have won. Fair enough. Seven and five, six and six, you know, one game difference. But if at that point Matt Luke had ridden off into the sunset and Ole Miss had gone a different direction, then by a lot of folks he would have been looked at as kind of a hero. Certainly as a native son who did all that he could to get Ole Miss through a difficult time. But to your point, when he was announced as the head coach in what people looked at as a an interesting search, we'll call it that and leave it there, um, hijacked, the, the narrative completely changed. And it was always going to be hard, you know, absent some pretty significant overachieving in a time where Ole Miss was having to kind of pay the NCAA Piper. Um, Don't you think history will look fondly on him, though? Yes. Not right now. People are very upset. But in five years, let's say, whoever they hire, let's say he works out, wins seven, eight games a year, they're going to bowl games, everything's good. People will look back at Matt Luke's two, you can call it three years, as stabilizing the program could have, probably should have tanked, and it did not because of him. And right now, the job is significantly more attractive and better prepared to have immediate success relative to their expectations than it did two years ago. And so, years from now, people will look back fondly on him, won't they? Yes. And this is kind of the point I brought up when we were talking last night on the podcast. It's, it's always kind of fun to envision what someone's legacy will be 10 years after they're gone or like like what the Saban era looks like 10 years after he retires, whatever. And history generally kind of forgets, you know, punting at midfield with the 4-17 and 17 or electing to go to overtime against Vanderbilt when you're not eligible. It kind of seems to, those details don't really crystallize as much as the overall big picture. So yes, I think he'll be looked at as a guy that stabilized the program when it really could have cratered because I'm not sure if Dave Doran has the talent pool where it is, given the circumstances they had to recruit through right now. And I think Luke deserves credit for that. But to Rich, what Richard was saying a second ago, you talk about some serious overachieving would have had done. It would have been hard for him to overachieve enough on a level playing field. No NCAA stuff, just normal job takeover. The level he was going to have to win at for it to be sustainable long term would have been difficult with the level playing field, much less with the deck stacked against him. It was, it, there was little to no possibility this was ever going to end well when he was hired in 17. And if you think back to 17, most people knew that at the time. But it kind of sucks because it's to no fault of his own. What, are you going to say no to your dream job at 39, whether you think you are ready or deserving of it or not? Of course, you're going to say yes. DW in Madison says, Matt Luke and his family have been more than loyal to Ole Miss. He deserved a face-to-face meeting to tell him instead of finding out while he's on the road recruiting. This is disgusting and part of the overall problem at Ole Miss. I actually take – I'm not taking exception to what you say. I, I understand, and that certainly is a tough part of this, that Matt Luke found out that he was going to lose his job, that he was going to be fired while he was on the road. 
But I think it's almost impossible in the current client uh, climate that we live in for that not to be the case. Matt Luke had gone on the road recruiting because he was doing his job and was looking toward 2020. The decision was made, and it's just almost impossible to keep secrets because you have too many people that are involved. You have, theoretically, boosters who are involved at some level. You have administration that's involved. You have people that see... Keith Carter, where he normally would be on a Sunday versus him not being there on a Sunday. You have agents involved. You have media people who are digging like crazy and who are really good at their jobs finding out information, and it's just almost impossible to keep a secret. Almost impossible. Uh, text message just came through to, to me a second ago. Um, and it was, you know, all of that aside, this recruiting class is going to be affected. Yeah, sure. They've had four decommitments in like 16 hours. Yeah. But, like, any head coaching change at any point ever is affects recruiting. There's really no getting around that. Hey, Dad, same question for you. So the, the question was, was this the right move at the right time for Ole Miss? Right move at the right time for Mississippi State to keep Joe Moorhead? It's It's tough. It's tough. You could, you could sell me on either decision, to be totally honest with you. Um, I will say this. If I'm John Cohen, I, I think it's the right move. because, And I, I think I've said this before. Cohen and his coaching background, i got to believe it's really, really difficult for him to swallow the pill of, I'm going to fire a coach after two seasons. I, I think him being a former coach played a lot into his decision. likelihood that Mississippi State is back having to make this exact same decision a year from now. Right now, I would say it was high. But you know, we'll see what happens throughout the season. Long way to go. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. Going to do our best to get to as many of your text messages as we can. They are coming in faster than we can read them. Take a quick time out. Back with more after this. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey on this Monday, where the big news is obviously the um, change that's happening at the top of the Ole Miss football program. Matt Luke was fired as head coach of Ole Miss last night, and a national search. Oh, let me back up. That phrase was not used, and I think intentionally that phrase was not used. A search (laughs) for the replacement has already begun, according to Ole Miss Athletics Director Keith Carter. Um, Some good stuff in that press conference today. I mean, blunt honesty. I agree. There were a couple of times where I thought, wow, he really, really answered a question, as opposed to just giving you whatever the bullet points were. Let's hear some of it. Let's uh, let's go back to, uh, this was 11 o'clock this morning, opening statement by Keith Carter and the announcement that Ole Miss was making a change. Uh, obviously, this is a hard day, but as we announced yesterday, we've decided to make a change in our football leadership. 
With the support and consultation of Chancellor Boyce and after meeting with Coach Luke, we felt that we needed to move forward in a different direction and inject new energy into the program. Following Thursday's game, I spent a couple of days taking a hard look at the totality of Matt's tenure as head coach. While you can see progress in certain areas, we're not experiencing enough success on the field. From a recruiting, academic, and overall culture standpoint, Matt did a tremendous job, and we will always be grateful for his leadership. However, as I said yesterday, winning is important, and we know that we can win at Ole Miss and compete for championships. Another factor was lack of support. Entering the Egg Bowl, we were optimistic that a strong, a strong finish to the season could build momentum. However, after stepping away from the emotion of Thursday and evaluating the team as a whole, it was evident that the apathy surrounding the program was too much to overcome. We felt it was important to find new leadership that could take this team to the next level, not only from building on our culture, but also translating to wins on the field. Again, we can't thank Coach Luke enough for stepping into, into a time when our program was at its lowest point. He is a, what he has accomplished here as a student athlete, assistant coach, and head coach will never be forgotten, and we certainly wish him the best moving forward. Our search is for a new head coach is underway. We've engaged Ventura partners to assist in this process of identifying a, the strongest candidate and the best fit to lead our program. We would prefer a sitting head coach or Power 5 coordinator, but more than anything, we want energy, passion, and a track record for success. We want a program builder who can galvanize and help unite Rebel Nation. As was clear with this season, there's a lot of talent on this roster. And those players in a destination school like Ole Miss, this is a very attractive job, and we look forward to working quickly and efficiently to find our new head coach. So that was the opening statement today from Keith Carter. There, there were a couple of things that stood out to me. One, um, not burying your head in the sand and very publicly recognizing that apathy had set in among Ole Miss fans. And obviously we can look around and see it when you see 21,000 people at a football game at home in November in a 63,000-seat stadium. That speaks volumes. But getting an athletics director or senior-level administrator to publicly admit that apathy had set in is an altogether different thing. Um, so I, I thought she had some candor there. He said that they will use a search firm, Ventura Partners, led by Chad Chatlos, to assist in this. Same one that was used to find Kermit Davis, or that Keith used to find, help find Kermit Davis? Sure. And it's not that they're really finding candidates. It's that they are facilitating conversations with candidates who have jobs and doing background checks and providing a Chinese firewall so that you can't just do FOIA requests and get all the information you need. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think it's predominantly a, not security blanket, but to make sure you cover all your bases and, and you know, there's only so much you can find out kind of giving people the what for yourself. Yeah. You don't have the audio just because the answer was so short, but he was asked, you know, who would be conducting the search? Would you have any help? And his answer was pretty much, yeah, I might lean on some advisors, but it's me. I'm conducting the search. It's my decision. Thought that was interesting as well. No committee, no any want. of that I'd, stuff, no run around. I'm doing it. I, I think he was try sending a message there, and I don't think he needed to needed or had to be subtle about it. But like, 
you know, with the way searches have gone at this place the last little bit, like making it loud and clear that he will be the one conducting all of this, you know, there will be no 40 person committees to refer someone to another committee to another committee, that type of deal. Like, kind of no nonsense, I guess, would be the way to describe it. So, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, semi vote of confidence, I guess. Actually, on the Friday that Keith Carter was hired, he was asked about Matt Luke and the football program going forward and said, we're going to support it, we're excited to where it's headed, ready to get to recruiting and moving on. And so he was asked today, what's changed in two weeks? Yeah, you know, I think as we as we looked um, the couple of days since the Egg Bowl, we, we tried to evaluate, we tried to, to get away from that. It was obviously a very emotional night for a lot of reasons. Um, but I think we tried to get away from that. We tried to look at the, the totality of the program. And what I just kept coming back to is that while we could see some, some progress in certain areas, um, have been competitive on the field in, in most games this year, it just felt like that the apathy around the program and just the, the lack of support were going to be hard to overcome. And, you know, going into next year, um, you know, with, with the schedule kind of built the way that it is, um, it just didn't feel like that even if we got to, to five or six or seven wins, that it was going to be enough to, to get people back and, and get over that hump. So we felt like making the change now was important so that we can uh, in, you know inter- interject new energy and life into the program. That's really what this came down to, isn't it? I thought, I thought that was the maybe singularly most honest answer I've ever heard from somebody in a setting like that, to say apathy set in. And we're looking at the schedule next year, and we didn't believe that six or seven wins next year was going to be enough to overcome the apathy. Yeah, and that's what that's probably the tough and kind of I guess crappy part about this all the way around is is that necessarily Matt Luke's fault? Not at all. Barring some kind of ridiculous overachieving in twenty eighteen. Or this year, where you win eight, seven, eight games, and you really start to kind of see this climb that would have been hard to do given that everything the program had suffered. Like that apathy was going to be there, and like I said earlier, he was kind of behind the eight ball in that sense from day one. So it's not really his fault, but also that that doesn't make it a wrong move. Yeah, like that's just the kind of crappy part about it, I guess, all the way around. And, and hey, Dad, I know you're kind of sitting this one out for a few minutes, but but. You certainly remember, what was it, about six weeks ago when we got the 2020 SEC schedule? Yeah. And as we walked through and we looked at Mississippi State's scheduling, yeah, it's, you know, manageable. And and we looked at Ole Miss and we all just kind of went, whew, that's rough, especially for the first half of the year, first seven games of the year, really. Yeah. Yeah. Gonna be, I mean, I think we may have mentioned it on, on Friday's show, to be, to be honest, that if Luke had stayed, you were looking at a midseason probably change because the schedule was so tough that it was going to be difficult to be anything better. I think you said two and five would be doing pretty good at that point. So, you know, we I mean, talked, two going and back five to, was most likely. Three and four would have been doing pretty darn well. I mean, yeah. it's in the first seven games you play Baylor at a neutral site, who's playing in the Big Twelve championship game this year. Would be immensely helped if Matt Rule like that would have been helped if he'd have gone somewhere else. And might still. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. we'll we'll see. Auburn at home, Alabama at home, LSU on the road, and Florida at home. That's five of the first seven. That's that's five losses. That just that's just how that is. Yikes. Who are the other two? Ah, directional somebody. 
Uh, okay. I mean, the, 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 oh, I'm saying, yeah, Vanderbilt's one of those. And that's on the road. I mean, you never know in that rival. I mean, they, 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 Vanderbilt has beaten Ole Miss recently. So. But, yeah, and it's sort of the same thing with apathy. That's that's sort of the word we've been using a lot for both State and Ole Miss. And we talked about that 2020 schedule. And it's not overly daunting for Mississippi State, but it, it, for as far as home games go, not the most attractive slate in the world. And, and that this is something that could come up for Mississippi State a, a year from now if State doesn't get off to a fast start that – by the middle of the season, you just have a, a fan base that's just disengaged. The problem with it, too, is just the two... Like, there's two guaranteed losses in there with the way Alabama and LSU are. And the other ones didn't seem like it as well. But you will remember Ole Miss was in the game at Auburn this year, and then you'll remember after they beat Arkansas last year when that team wasn't any good, there were a lot of people that thought Ole Miss was going to beat Auburn and Oxford. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy how things change. You don't know what Florida's going to be either. But it just... I mean, that's... If you're selling it in a positive light, that's three losses in a coin flip and then one you might win at best out of the five. And we don't know who's going to be the head coach of the Rebels when you get to the start of that season and that daunting schedule a year from now. Here a little bit more of what um, Keith Carter had to say. This is obviously an expensive proposition. He talked a little bit about buyouts and what it's going to cost to go forward and what they're willing to spend. And uh, also some early thoughts on the reception of the search so far. We'll continue with you after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. It's a challenge to start talking, Borky. That's one where I feel like I'm just supposed to sit and listen. Um, Somebody asked me last week for some Hank Williams, so I gave them some Hank Williams. There's a connection there to something that uh, Keith Carter said in his press conference today. I'm taking a little bit of poetic license here. It wasn't necessarily asked about family tradition, but more like Mississippi tradition uh, and whether or not there would be a target for somebody with ties to the state of Mississippi. And Keith Carter very diplomatically said, we're just going to get the best coach, period. As someone who played middle school football, I have to agree. Think that's the way to go? Yeah. I admire the poker face, though. It didn't react, just got the question, kept the face on, and basically said no in a very nice and political way. Keith Carter explained a little bit about what the buyout situation looked like, uh, looks like, what the math for that is going forward, and didn't really take the bait on the follow-up as to whether or not there would be any limitations <laughs> when I ask a follow-up question. Keith Carter, earlier today on the financial implication. It is. It is. And, um, you know, I think I made some comments last week, though, that we're, we'll always make decisions that are in the best interest of our programs. And, you know, let's be honest, we, we have some financial things we have to work through. Um, you know, with Matt's contract, we can, we can pay it out over a four-year period, which, is, which will help there. Um, our, all of our assistant coaches' contracts have mitigation clauses in them that if they get other jobs, that number comes off of the number that we owe them. So there's some things there that we can work through. Um, but certainly we'll, we'll handle that internally. You know, there was a lot of, of noise kind of yesterday that there was a booster group that had said they would pay the buyout. I haven't spoken to a single booster about a buyout. Um, not to say that I won't, um, or not to say that I won't talk to them about helping us with a new coach. But uh, we will handle that internally, and uh, we'll work with our department CFO and our foundation CFO to, to make that happen. 
and just ask him, I said, so are there any limitations going forward? And his response was, Richard, there are always limitations. Um, so, yeah, they're not going to go out and pay $10 million for a new coach, but uh, basically said that they will be competitive in the marketplace. And, you know, the reality is who you end up hiring I mean, you don't just go into this and say, you know what, we're going to pay the next head coach $5 million a year because lots of other people are paying $5 million a year. If you go and you get Mike Norvell from Memphis, it may take four and a half or $5 million a year. But if you go and you hire Billy Napier from Louisiana, maybe $2.8 million or $3.5 million is the number. And then you've got money freed up that can go toward staff that you might have spent on a head coach otherwise. Um, so certainly that is um, that's something to keep an eye on. And doesn't the I mean we've played a couple of cuts where he talked about the financial component. We've talked about the financial component all season long. If you make the right hire, those problems don't all disappear, but they get corrected pretty quickly, don't they? Because if you hire the right guy, your season ticket number from 2019 to 2020 is dramatically different. Well, it better be. And, I mean, help me out if I'm wrong here. So you had Ole Miss fans clamoring, obviously not showing up not buying season tickets because they were frustrated, they were disappointed, they were apathetic, they were mad, they were sad, it was too expensive, they couldn't justify it, whatever the reason, and wanted change. And so if you were one of the people that was in that category and you wanted to see change, now that you get change, you got to go buy the tickets, right? Yeah, you got to put your money and your time where your mouth is. So we'll see if that happens. Does it happen immediately? Does it happen over the course of a couple of years? To me, here's the difference. If you make a hire that people are excited about, and and let, 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 let's play next year through the first seven games out, and let's call it either two and five or three and four through the first seven games. Two and five for Matt Luke would have been irrecoverable next year. You were going to have to make a change. Two and five with a new coach, or three and four with a new coach, people are going to look at it through a different lens. They're going to say, well, he inherited the schedule, and he inherited the roster, and it takes a little while to get your system in place. There will be a little more patience there. You agree with that, Rippy? Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's going to have to be patience, because talk about a time where the program needs stability more so than anything. Like, you pay another buyout in three years, and like, really, where are you? There's pretty much no margin for error. You gotta get it right. In getting this higher right this time. We'll switch gears a little bit and we'll circle back to this a little bit later. Let's talk some uh, about Mississippi State and some of the details surrounding Joe Moorhead returning for his third season next year at Mississippi State. That's when we come back in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, 
where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank and Health, that's what they do. They've been financing and refinancing land in North Mississippi for over 100 years. Look them up online. Grab the phone number there. Find a branch location there as well, mslandbank.com. The JT Show will be at the Hickory Pickin' Flea Market tomorrow in Newton. Great deals all across the store on everything unique, antique, and boutique. Brought to you by Mississippi Golf Cart Outlet, Harvest Moon, Ivy Rental, Bounds Hydro Seating and Erosion Control, Troy Brand Furniture, Representative Randy Rushing of District 78. So that is JT in Newton tomorrow. Also tomorrow... Sports Talk Mississippi will be at the Country Club of Jackson for the presentation of the C Spire Connerly Trophy to this year's top college football player in the state of Mississippi. You'll hear from coaches, players, past winners as well. Sports Talk Mississippi, hosted by Michael Borky with Hey Dad and Rippy there tomorrow at CCJ for the 2019 C Spire Connerly Trophy presentation ceremony. So uh, looking forward to that tomorrow as well. Turn the page for at least a little while on the Ole Miss news today of uh, a new football coach search beginning and flip the page to Starkville. Um, kind of a summary story from Sports Illustrated. We'll just use this as a starting point and then Hey Dad let you fill in the gaps. Uh, according to SI Moorhead, uh, Joe Moorhead met with Mississippi State AD John Cohen for four hours on Saturday to discuss the future of the program. Coach is expected to have his contract extended to a fourth year. Obviously, this comes after rumors were swirling on Thursday that Mississippi State could potentially be making a change following the Egg Bowl. But you had the crazy ending. Mississippi State got the win. They improved to 6-6. Six and six. They are bowl eligible. Don't know yet where they are headed. Think maybe Music City is kind of the leading candidate. We'll wait and see. Uh, Bulldogs hired Moorhead prior to the 2018 season after Dan Mullen went to go to Florida. 8-5 and five a year ago, lost to Iowa in the Outback Bowl. Moorhead got a contract extension through 2022 after last year that will pay him an annual average base salary of $3.2 million. So those are kind of the, uh, the bullet points of the story. Hey, Dad, what gaps can you fill in? Be our color analyst and uh, kind of paint the picture for us. Well, like I said earlier, I really do think that all along John Cohen was leaning towards keeping Joe Moorhead. I think that's what he wanted to do. Um, An Egg Bowl loss would have probably made that a tougher decision, but the win made it a much, much easier one. Um, And I don't think, you know, I think obviously the Egg Bowl decision played a large role, but I don't think it played the full role. Like I said, with Cohen being a former coach himself, I I just find it difficult for him to pull the trigger. I think it would have been difficult for him to pull the trigger um, after just one year, especially when you have their excuses and there are reasons in this world. And when Joe Moorhead, who's not in charge of academics, has to deal with the amount of suspensions he has to because of academic problems, that that's not an excuse so much to me as it is a reason. And I think State would have been better this year, probably would have at least one more win on the schedule with Willie Gay, Lee Autry, and Marcus Murphy available the whole time. And, and you, like you said, when we had our discussion after the game, who were the best two players on defense for State Thursday night, Willie Gay and, and Marcus Murphy? Well, those guys, if they had been out there the whole way, I think that might have made a difference for Mississippi State. And, and that's a reasonable assumption, and that is a reasonable reason to give Joe Moorhead a second look. So 
I understand there's a lot of, you know, I feel like the, the fan base is, is sort of fractured right this second. I think Moorhead's comments uh, Thursday night, a, a lot of people took that the wrong, well, I wouldn't say the wrong way, but it rubbed them the wrong way. Um, so he's got to, you know, get on the business of, of, of winning those people back, and the only way to win them back is by winning games, starting with this bowl game uh, in a few weeks. So it's, it's, it's an interesting time up here in Starkville, but that said, 2020, Joe Moorhead will lead that team out of the, uh, out of the locker room when Mississippi State takes on New Mexico uh, first week. All right, so some questions. You say you're not entirely sure that, or, or you don't think John Cohen wanted to pull the trigger regardless. And I don't think I disagree with you about that. But to say that there were rumors or that there was smoke surrounding his dismissal, and the way it was put to me, hey, Dad, was regardless of the outcome. Mm-hmm. on Thursday night. And someone who, as I understood it, was one of the people that was going to have to write a check to help fund the buyout had agreed to do so. Do you believe any of that stuff to be true? It's just one of those things where I think there was some, some truth to a lot of stuff, but I think there was a lot of jumping the guns. You had people talking about the deal is done, and they're going to announce Billy Napier on Saturday, Yeah, and he's already right. agreed to it. I mean, those, those rumors were out there, and they were just false. You know, no, Nothing like that's happening. Billy Napier's not going to agree. I think we lost Hayden. Obviously, we're having some issues with, uh, with his connection. We'll get that fixed and try and get it figured out here. In uh, in just a couple of minutes, yeah, the, the, Haydad is one hundred percent accurate though. In that, not only was the rumor floating around that Joe Moorhead was out, the rumor additionally was Billy Napier will be the next head coach at Mississippi State, and that basically that deal was done. Obviously, that turned out not to be the case. We have since learned, kind of in talking to sources surrounding just coaching search season in general, that yes, there had been contact with Billy Napier and interest had been gauged, but that deal was nowhere close to being done. That there was some hesitation there on the part of Billy Napier for whatever reason, one reason or another, whatever, you know. Didn't know if he could find a house that he liked. Didn't think Maroon looked good on him. Yeah, what, whatever. Um, so, probably a reminder that it's hard to believe everything that you hear. Uh, it's it, it probably more like foolish to believe everything yeah. that you hear. Um, and you hear the term fluid situation all the time this time of year. Hey, Dad, it's possible that... Boosters had agreed to pay a buyout and that Billy Napier was the guy that they wanted and then some of those same boosters. Maybe if it was not John Cohen that was swayed one way or the other, maybe some of the people who were willing to write a check had their opinion swayed based on the outcome of the game. Very possible. Very possible. I mean, there was some talk going into the game that not only the, the result but the manner in which State played was going to go a long way. Did State look like they had a good game plan? 
Were they organized? Were penalties a problem? Did you did you have another situation like you had last season where it degenerated into a brawl? You know, and those things. I thought state, you know, defensively had a fantastic game plan. Offensively, mm-hmm. I thought they were. You know, I thought the game plan was smart to try to ride Kylan Hill to victory and not put it all into Schrader's hands. Um, you know, you probably would have liked to have been a little bit better offensively. I feel like maybe you, you threw a couple opportunities away. But by and large, but also it was okay. Ole Miss's defense gets some credit for that. They played they fairly do. well. Absolutely, as well. they do. From a special teams perspective, that might have been State's best special teams game of the whole year. I mean, not a high bar to clear there, but it was better. <laughs> so I mean, it looks like the message was received on somebody's end that hey, this game not only needs to be a win, but it needs to look different than the way you've looked all season long, and they were able to do that. With all that being said, is there any credence to the fact that even at, despite all that, Ole Miss kind of had to give it to them? Oh, absolutely. Like in, in the that, that's 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 the thing that will you know will always be wondering is if Elijah Moore doesn't you know decide to I've, I've dubbed it urination simulation. If he doesn't do that, and and Ole Miss ties the game and wins, it, they are already T-shirts with the other stuff coming, which I'm going to buy one. Uh, no one's ever been able I, to confirm it was simulation. You got a point. Could have I, done I it. didn't check it. I didn't check his. And you wouldn't have known either sure. way. No, yeah, you know that's 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 your job, Rippy. Find that out. That's your beat. Cover it for me. Uh, but that said, long that. story short, <laughs> long story short, if Ole Miss had won the game, are we having a different discussion today? Are we talking about Matt Luke still at Ole Miss and Joe Moorhead on out at Mississippi State? Possibly, possibly, but it didn't play out that way. Good call on the uh, music here, Borky, and uh, and here we are. Nailed it. My cell phone is You off. can appreciate Joe Moorhead's post-game passion on Thursday night. But in terms of being passionate, did he take it too far and did he alienate part of the Mississippi State fan base? We will talk about that next with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Monday afternoon in the Renaissance Bank studio, Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi, on your radio and in the game. Sports Talk Mississippi. Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. All right, hey, Dad. So a passionate Joe Moorhead on Thursday night. The money quote is undeniable, but he said a lot of other stuff, too. The money quote is that you're going to have to drag my Yankee ass out of here, without question. But he also said, my team, my program, I'm not going anywhere, believe in the future. And if I'm a Mississippi State fan... I think I like all of that fire. I might be a little less happy, though, with the whole uh, pound sand kick rocks comments. How much damage did he do with those words? You know, I never know. Or is that heat of the moment stuff that nobody's going to hold against him? No, I don't. I don't think that's the case. I don't ever know how to judge social media and message boards because I know that it's a it's a really loud vocal minority. 
but that loud vocal minority is not happy with what was said. Uh, there's a lot of feeling like, okay, well, you know, if that's you want me to go kick rocks, well then, fine. You know, my my tickets will just go unused next year. Um, there's a, there's a lot of the, people were angry when when that when I tweeted all that out uh, Thursday night. The the immediate re- the reaction was they weren't happy. They were there was a lot of anger towards that. The characters in a typical scene to where that happens with as a football coach were all out of place. Because normally that happens when a coach is addressing rumors of him going somewhere else or leaving the program yeah. and not, not being ousted by someone else but leaving on his own. And normally he's telling media people that had the reports and fake news and all of that to kick rocks. And this was extremely bizarre because obviously he's fired up after beating Ole Miss. It was kind of a hapless Ole Miss team. Afterwards, and then he's telling basically everyone except the players in the locker room to kick rocks. That was the weird part about it to me. Yeah. Yeah, and he even said, you know, that he was happy for the players, the staff, the, the athlete, blah, 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 and the majority of the fans. So he was obviously taking some shots there at the people who had been spreading rumors. And, and I know that later in the press conference he acted like he had not heard anything, but we, we all know, we're all smart enough to know that that's not true. So Coaches he was obviously taking, come on. Yeah, I mean he he's not living in a, in a uh, an isolation chamber. So you know, I took that as, hey, you in guys fairness, have been, yeah. In, in fairness, we talk all the time about hating coaching sound bites, where they speak mm-hmm. in sound bites and they use coach speak and they don't say anything. That felt to me like raw, unfiltered emotion from Joe Moorhead. Can you really have it both ways? If you hate coach speak sound bites and then you get raw unfiltered emotion, can you really complain about that too though? You can if you feel like it's directed at you for the wrong reasons, I guess. I mean I get what you're saying. Is that I, I think and I agree. thumb. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I think what Sorry. you said in the first part of that what, what about, you know, my program, and you're going to drag me. I think everybody can get behind that. But when you start telling fans to kick rock, these are the fans who are buying the tickets, and we've already just discussed what a difficult task that's going to be for Mississippi State next year. It's just like any other business. You can't go out there and yell at your customers. And that's what, you know, at the end of the day, that's what this is. You know, Mississippi State fans are the customers of Mississippi State University. And so if you're going to tell them to pound sand and kick rocks, you don't care what they think, well, they, they can respond with their pocketbooks. Which ultimately they'll respond based on wins and losses. Well, that's the other thing too is all of this anger goes away if you know he wins eight games next year, wins the bowl game and wins eight games next year. Yeah, the bowl game is interesting. Normally, I'm not a big fan of bowl games mean anything, but last year's bowl game hurt Joe Moorhead perception wise, and this year could do the same thing. He really needs to find a way. I don't know who State's playing. I don't know where they're going yet, but whoever it is, State needs to find a way to win that game. Can you imagine going to a restaurant after you like tweeted the food isn't great? And then after you get like a burger that's pretty good, the chef just comes out and dunks all over you for it. <laughs> Told you I was a good cook. The, the the first litmus test for Mississippi State in 2020 comes in week two. Right, you, you beat New Mexico in yeah. the season opener, and then you go to NC State. NC State was not very good this year, but they not were a, a football team, team that year. was yeah. riddled with injuries this season. You should be able to win that game. Also fired their defensive coordinator yesterday, who's been with them for six years. Homecoming game for Garrett Trader too. He's from Charlotte, of course. You know, from that area. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, you're right. If you're two and zero after that game, you know everybody. And that, I think last, that's sort of what got people a couple of years ago. They, you know, they went up to Kansas State and won so easily. I think a lot of people really bought into Joe Moorhead after that game. Maybe you can get him to buy back in with a win uh, in Raleigh. The traitor was an Alaskan bushman. <laughs> <laughs> that's in his next life. Yeah, that's in his next life. So NC State in week two, he'll be on the the twenty eighth season of deadliest catch. Arkansas in week three, regardless of who Arkansas hires, that should be a win. Should be a winnable game. Tulane in week four. So worst case three and one after four weeks. Yeah, but you'd like I'm you'd sorry. like yeah probably well, no I uh, yeah worst case best is three case and one, four and zero oh. yeah. I think you can beat Tulane at home. Oh yeah, I mean NC State's the only question mark in the first four for me. Right, so you should be you should be four and zero. You you could be three and one, and that would that would not be a good thing. I think you need to be four and zero, and because, because the next after four that are brutal price of poker goes up on Saturday, October third. A and M is in Starkville, then an open date, then a trip to Alabama, then a trip to LSU, then Auburn at home. And then a Missouri team that will have a new coach. And then at Kentucky in mid-November when the weather could be kind of funky. And then Alabama A&M and then Ole Miss on the road to close it out. Once again on Thanksgiving night. So, I mean, if if you do it in, in blocks of four, need to go 4-0 and oh because you could be staring 0-4 oh in, uh, in the next four in the face. But then you right. also and, could finish the season 4-0. Yeah. And if you can find a – based on all that, if you can find a win in the middle of that season there, if you can beat Auburn at home or Texas A&M at home, which aren't undoable, State did it last season, then you got a chance to have a really good year. But yeah, it's and, all on Joe I, Moorhead. It's all the, on the, getting the offense better. What does he have to go to make like for him, for people to buy in? Well, Next one, year? A two-part question. What does he have to do to – to be back in 2021 or whatever the next year is after this one. Um, and two, like, what would make people buy in? I think seven and five would get him back for sure. And then to, for people buying in, though, eight and four would be really nice. And it, and it's not, it may not even that, be record. It's not even the record so much, guys. It's two things. Win the games you're supposed to win. He has lost, I think, five times as a touchdown favorite. Gotta, gotta win those games. And then, can you win a game you weren't supposed to win? He hasn't done that at all yet. Win, beat Auburn, beat Texas A and M, and and that would go a long way. At least look competitive too, right? I mean, non-competitive in Auburn, non-competitive to Alabama, largely non-competitive yeah. against LSU. Compete in those games would help, I imagine. Well, I, I was just going to say a second ago. You know, I threw the math out: four and zero, and four four and zero. That's eight and four. But yeah. also three and That's one, a, one and three, three and one. That's yeah. uh, that's seven and five. Yeah, you, right? you, yeah. But if you're three and one, one and three, four and zero, oh, I think that's better than the four and zero, oh, zero oh and four, obviously, because then you've beaten one of those big SEC West teams in the middle. Yeah, and then you, you know you've won. You would be what five and three in the conference. So you'd have it be above five hundred. Something Mullen only did once. You've won a third straight Egg Bowl. At that point, yeah, everybody's pretty happy with Joe Moorhead, I would think. You know, you know interestingly enough, and this isn't 
I mean, if you're Ole Miss, the path to a bowl game every single year is a win against Vanderbilt. The path to a bowl game or seven or eight wins or whatever the number is for Mississippi State is a win against Kentucky as your permanent East opponent. Kentucky's going to be pretty good next year. They should be. And that's one of those where if you're just going through going win-loss, win-loss, almost every Mississippi State fan is going to put a W next to Kentucky Mm -hmm. because of historical history. history. But it's a a toss-up right now. It's going to be the most talented team that Mark Stoops has had in his time yeah. at Kentucky next year. And it's on the road. And it's going to be real. It's going to be winter up there. Probably it might, <laughs> it might be snowing. I don't know. Might be snowing in November. So, I like the idea of playing Arkansas and Alabama earlier in the season, but I did not realize I was going to have to make the trek north to the wall of the SEC. Yeah, not going to be able to uh, check out any races at Keeneland no. on November fourteenth. Got to do that in October. Sports Talk Mississippi with you halfway through on this Monday afternoon. What do you say we get to some winners and losers coming up next? You can text us yours on the Ceasefire text line. Winners from the weekend, you losers from the weekend. What'd you like? What did you not like? We'll give you ours. We want yours as well. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio, streaming online at supertalk.fm. We're back after this. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Again, the ceasefire text line is open to you. Want your winners and your losers from the weekend. 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Time right now for winners and losers. All I, all I, all I, all I do is We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. All right, from the weekend, what did you like? What did you not like? Hey, Deb, we'll let you go first. Give me a winner. Oh, dang it. I was hoping not to be first here because I don't have the guy's name in front of me. Uh, okay. He is the dean of of liberal co- the College of Liberal Arts over at Auburn University. Name is Joe. Mm-hmm. I hope I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Joe Eistrup. Statement on final exams. It is undeniable when every second counts. Auburn men and women make great things happen. Under Coach Malzahn's leadership, student athletes have twice proven the difference that one second can make. Therefore, I am. And I, my computer just messed up on me. In the spirit of continued success, I hereby authorize professors and instructors to add one second to all the allotted times for next week's final exams. I love it. I love every bit of that. The the pettiness, the salt, the rivalry. Give it all to me. That's a winner for me. Just trolling the old Crimson Tide. Can't be beat. Porky, winner. This German radio crew calling Shy Tuttle's stiff arm of Matt Ryan. Super guten Job, Er war der Head Coach bei den Raiders damals. Da sah es nicht so gut aus als Head Coach. Oh, interception! Matt Ryan! Oh my God! Wie eine Puppe gibt er den stiff arm! Oh, der fliegt auf den Boden! Hör doch mal auf! I heard interception, Matt Ryan, stiff arm, and <laughs> Which is better, that or the Russians with the uh, the egg bowl? I can't tell. 
Did we play that on Friday? We did not. I uh, I can you probably had it, but find we didn't it. Play it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, that was pretty good stuff. Rippy, give me a winner. Brian Flores. That was one of the best uh, fake extra points I've ever seen, or fake field goal, whatever it was. <laughs> I watched not one second of the NFL yesterday. It's a shame. It's my fault. It's a good day. Yeah. Had some upsets. You had a, a punter throw a kicker a touchdown on what was one of the greatest fake field goal attempts of all time. Tell me about it. I agree. I, I, it, it'd be better. I, I'm not good at play-by-play, so I would have to, uh, I'd have to show you. Okay. We'll watch that, uh, watch that later. Um, I don't know where you go. I mean, there were so many things. About J.K. Dobbins. Pretty good game. Against top 15 rush defenses this year. He's seen four of them. He had 172 yards and a touchdown against Michigan State. Believe it or not, they have a top 15 rush defense, even though they were terrible as a football team. Uh, 163 yards and two touchdowns against Wisconsin. 157 and two touchdowns against Penn State. And 211 and four touchdowns against Michigan. Those are all top 15 rush defenses, and he carved them up. That's pretty good. Gus Malzahn. I mean, he's kind of like the cat with nine lives. When his back's against the wall, he figures out a way. And who knew that scoring 48 points was going to be what it it took against Alabama? That was an un- Believable football game. Crazy second quarter. You know, eventful third quarter. Crazy fourth quarter. And I guess we'll transition from winners to losers because did, did, did you guys hear the numbers on Saturday night after that game? No team in the football bowl subdivision in the time that Nick Saban has been at Alabama has missed more field goals than Alabama kickers have missed. Joseph Bulibus, the most recent, he hits the left upright with Alabama having a chance to tie it at 48, potentially send it to overtime. Game wouldn't have been over at that point, but potentially send it to overtime. And then kind of oscillating back to winners, taking Gus Malzahn just a step farther, he just outwitted Nick Saban. Yep. I mean, he kind of ran the rope-a-dope on a fourth down play where it looks like they're going to punt, but they go with a funky formation, and they catch Alabama with 12 players on the field, get the first down, and Alabama does not have a chance to complete the comeback. And then one more winner from that game. Even in a loss, I thought Mac Jones was really good. Yeah, He, he had the two pick sixes. One of them was a terrible throw. One of those was just... It wasn't a great throw, but it was just kind of an incredible play. And I guess ultimately those two pick sixes are the difference in the game, but there are a lot of plays that were the difference in the game. And Mac Jones throws four touchdowns, goes for about 350 yards. Stage was not too big for him on Saturday. Any other winners for you guys or losers? I got a loser. Give me a loser. The Atlanta Falcons social media team. What a joke. All right, what so happened? the Saints the Saints win on uh, on Thursday. They clinched the NFC South on Thanksgiving night. The Falcons tweet out the infographic, and it just says, 
us 44, them 35 with the shrugging shoulders emoji because that's the score of the combined games. Falcons are 3-9. and nine. They're going to be most famous for losing the most embarrassing lead in a Super Bowl ever. They're not good. They're lane. They need to stay in it. What a joke. How do, you, how do you tweet that? Who approves these kind of things? I'm all for rivalry salt, as we just said with winners. But then there's times when you lose, you just need to, you know, shut up. That's one of those times. Forky, you got a loser? Um, No, that was going to be mine. That's a good one. But Jim Harbaugh, after they lose to Ohio State, a reporter asks a very fair question. That's a good one. What is the gap between you and Ohio State? Is it players? Is it coaching? Is it scheme? What's the gap between you two? And Harbaugh looks confused and responds and says, I'll only answer questions, not insults. The reporter replies, oh, it's not an insult, coach. You just, you've given up over 1,000 yards in two years, and he said the combined score, and Harbaugh wouldn't answer the question. Hmm? Was that from a Michigan reporter? Somebody on their beat, but not like a guy that runs a, a you know, fan website. Like it was a, a reporter, a real reporter, asking a real question, and he just he called it an insult. Which maybe the score against Ohio State in the last two years, last eight years, has been an insult, but that's a different angle. Name is Does Dabo fall right. into the loser category for you for his rant about they don't want us here? Without a doubt. I mean Little old Clemson. This is a guy that coached a team that lost to Syracuse and still made the playoff, and he wants to tell you that nobody wants them there and trying to get them out? Yeah. I mean, where is that coming from? I guess if you're so good, you have to find a way to create motivation. a chip on your shoulder. But he just right. looks like a petty clown acting like there are is actual people out there that don't want Clemson in the playoff. It's unfounded. It's stupid. And history tells you that Clemson makes the playoff even when they lose to bad football teams. I guess to add on to that, Nick Saban would have to fall in there for describing the fourth down play as unfair. He got duped by Gus, who's the smartest man in his own mind. And then (laughs) called it unfair. Yeah. The guy who asked the question is Jordan Strack, who is the sports director at WTOL in Toledo, Ohio. Okay. So probably a guy that covers Ohio State more than he covers Michigan. Yeah. It's that That's a very fair City, question. Though. Very fair question, in my yeah. opinion. Coach, when, you, there's something. when, you, when you, you look at these two teams, obviously this is a huge rivalry game. What What's the gap? What, what What's the difference? Why them instead of you? My, my favorite thing I've read from that rivalry this weekend is a lot of Michigan fans saying, well, it's just because Ohio State is so obsessed with Michigan. Maybe Michigan needs to get obsessed with Ohio State to start figuring out a way to win those games and start playing for championships. And then they pull out the cheating thing. Well, you know, just the way Did Michigan you see that does today? it. You Did know, you see that today? Yeah, what was it, the Alumni Association? Yeah, let me, let me read. This was from, uh, oh, where is it? From, this is from the Alumni Association's message board or, or something, a comment on something. We are a beacon of greatness in a sea of cheaters and bag men. We know all the other teams have the refs and recruits on the take, yet we take the field with the pure recruits and coaches who play the right way in a program that sets a standard for greatness in a league of cheaters. Never forget we are leaders and best. 
That guy's got like six bags on his head, man. Jeez. Maybe maybe they should cheat more. Maybe they, they should probably cheat beat the Ohio State. So those are your winners and losers from the weekend. We'll get to some of yours on the C Spire text line when we continue. Again, that number is 601-879-4395. More coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. College football fix. We will circle back to the news of the day in the state of Mississippi, which is Ole Miss now searching for a new head football coach. Who will that coach be? We'll kick around some names and play around with uh, where this is headed and what the timeline might be, how quickly Ole Miss needs to move. We will do that coming up about 10 minutes from right now for you or with you in the college football fix. It's coming up in uh, just a few minutes. Let's take a look at some of your winners and losers, though, from the weekend as well. Winner, LSU, for blowing out Texas A&M. Mississippi State for keeping Joe Moorhead over Billy Napier. Okay. Winner, Mark Hudspeth, Austin P with their first ever playoff victory. And Mark Hudspeth, obviously a guy with ties to the state of Mississippi. Buddy, it was ugly, too. Like 45-7 to seven over my Furman Paladins. Uh-oh. Uh, loser. This from the 228 area code, Ole Miss for firing Matt Luke. He had a great young team. It's a sad day. I don't know that I would get on board with he had a great young team. He had a roster that had young players on it that at times played very well. To call it a great young team seems like a little bit of a stretch. Yeah, and like Barrett Salee today said that uh, Ole Miss making the move was insane. Okay. It's just I don't understand what these people, these national people that are supposed to be locked into college football are watching. I mean, what am I missing? Because insane? You can call it, you know, I'm surprised it happened this early. You know, thought maybe the team was better. That Okay, that's fine. Insane? Look in the mirror. Uh, losers. Ole Miss fans. Hot take, right? They deserve better, and if you delve deeper into the rivalry, you see that Ole Miss hasn't won an Egg Bowl in Oxford that wasn't vacated since 2008. Ouch. Sam in Starkville. Well, wasn't last year's Egg Bowl vacated? Yeah, but it doesn't fit his narrative. Vacated wins, guys, a trip. Yeah. Uh, winner, Pat McAfee. Best commentator in the business. Loser. Auburn storming the field. We get it. You beat Bama. But you don't see Bama or Florida storming the field after big wins. See, incidentally, in the last what? Like five, six, they got got hit for a quarter mil. Fourth time, Auburn gets a $250,000 fine from the SEC for violation, uh, violating the fans on the field policy. That's tough, but the... We don't storm the field because wins aren't fun for us. Guy, is that's hilarious to me. Like Alabama fans, oh, we don't storm the field. We expect to win. Well, yeah, you know what? Auburn looked like a blast on Saturday night. Didn't you love the ladies that got stuck in the hedges? <laughs> or the, what, what, the hedgerow? I mean, it's the hedges in Athens. I mean, it's the same thing. Yeah, somebody's mom went viral. 
Uh, loser Saban having the nerve to complain about a call. Yeah, that was rich. Winner from Keith invading Texans beating New England. That's a good win for Houston. The AFC is funky now. Because presumably Baltimore is the best. But then, I mean, New England lost yesterday, and what do you do with Kansas City? It just suddenly very interesting over there now. Uh, Preston agreed with the people in the Hedges losers, Auburn fans versus the Hedges. John in Inverness, Willie Gay, he is the state's biggest recruit this offseason. He says losers, elite dogs. I'd argue Kylan Hill, wouldn't you? It's 50-50. They're both, they're both key. Jeff says winners, the Ole Miss Athletics tractor is my winners list. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, the Southern Miss football team and coaching staff on my losers list. Tough loss for Southern Miss. Ooh. FAU got after them on Saturday. In front of like 3,300 people. Then that... We talked about it a little bit on Friday, but now with Southern, you know, sort of falling apart these last two games, Kylan Hill's probably got to be the guy for the Connerly tomorrow night, right? Yeah, I think so. And he won the fan vote as well. 10% of the vote for the C Spire Connerly Trophy comes through the fan vote. Uh, winner, Ella, uh, we got that one already. Uh, let's see here. Did we get Borky winner for calling that, though? Calling how badly LSU was going to beat Texas A&M. Uh, weren't we all on that train? I, I think we were, but Borky was adamant about it. He was. You're right. Larry says I also got the Iron Miss. Bowl too, but not to pat myself on the back or anything. Says loser Ole Miss for not looking at the bigger picture before jumping to the firing of Luke as a cure-all for the NCAA investigation hangover. I don't think anyone looks at it as a cure-all. Loser Mississippi State fans that wanted Moorhead gone. Why couldn't you Rebels have just beaten us? <laughs> Kelso in Ocean Springs says winner Montez Sweat. One and a half sacks yesterday, five on the year. He started slow, but he's getting better for his terrible Redskins. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Monday afternoon with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, rolling into the 5 o'clock hour. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. Check them out online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Just after 5 o'clock, so it's time for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built for tough. But don't stop there. Check out the great deals, end-of-the-year deals on the 2019 year-end models. Chance for great savings, including up to 20% off the retail sticker price. Visit your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. We've talked a good bit this afternoon, most of the 3 o'clock hour, about the changes that are happening at Ole Miss. Um, 
Matt Luke out as the head football coach, and the search for a new coach has begun, according to Keith Carter. Keith Carter, the new athletics director at Ole Miss, after serving for about six or so months in the interim role named a couple of weeks ago as the new AD, will lead the search in conjunction with Venture, uh, Ventura Partners, uh, Chad Chatlos from that uh, search committee, uh, or excuse me, that search firm will uh, will work with Ole Miss on some of the background stuff. But uh, this is very much Keith Carter's search to go out and find a new football coach. So the question becomes, who will that new football coach be? Names. So just kind of right out of the gate, the very first name that popped up that had a little oomph to it was Mike Norvell who has been very successful at Memphis. He took over at Memphis after Mike, uh, excuse me, Justin Fuente got the head coaching job at Virginia Tech. Mike Norvell, four seasons as a head coach, 8-5 and five in his first year in 2016, lost the Boca Raton Bowl, 10-3 and three in year number two, that was the 2017 season, Finished first in conference, or excuse me, the Americans Western Division. Went to the Liberty Bowl, lost it. 2018, eight and six. So last year they went eight and six. Again, tied for first in the American Western Division. And this year, 11 and one. The lone loss for Memphis this season on the road against Temple. Kind of a weird game. Call went against Memphis at the end. Probably is the difference in them being 12 and 0 undefeated and knocking on the door to the top 10 in the college football playoff rankings and being in the mid-teens, which is where they're going to be tomorrow night. Coming off a win against Cincinnati, Memphis will host the uh, the American Athletic Conference Championship game in a rematch with Cincinnati that is eight days after the regular season meeting. So all in all, Mike Norvell, 37-15 and 15 as a head coach, 24-8 and eight in the American Athletic Conference in four years at Memphis. His name, obviously, is one that has gotten a lot of traction. Name number two on the list, and this is interesting because, by all accounts, it was the name that was at the top of the list for Mississippi State on Thursday, and that's Billy Napier. Billy Napier played quarterback for the Furman Paladins in college, as a coach, he was a GA at Clemson for a season, two years actually. Spent a year as the quarterbacks coach at South Carolina State. Came back to Clemson on Tommy Bowden's staff as the tight end coach and recruiting coordinator. Worked for a couple of years under Dabo Sweeney as offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Let go by Dabo, went and worked for a year at Alabama as the offensive analyst. That was in 2011. 2012, went with Jim McElwain to Colorado State, where he was the associate head coach and quarterbacks coach. Came back to Alabama 2013 through 2016 as the wide receivers coach. Worked for a year at Arizona State as the offensive coordinator before landing the job at Louisiana Lafayette. 17-9 and in two years at Louisiana Lafayette. Went 7-7. Seven and seven and lost in the Cure Bowl last year. This season, a school record 10 wins, 10-2. and two. They won the Western Division of the Sunbelt Conference and obviously are bowl-bound again. 
Those are the two names that have gotten the most traction so far. What about other names that are out there? Eli Drinkwitz's uh, name at uh, Appalachian State just finished his first year. They went 11-1 and at App State this year, including a win over South Carolina in Columbia and a win over North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Pretty good coaching job. Is there any concern that Eli Drinkwitz inherited a program that was already in good shape from Scott Satterfield? And it's a small body of work for him. Sure there is, uh, but his years at NC State are pretty indicative of a good football coach. I mean, it's probably not a coincidence that the year he leaves, they go 5-7 and seven and take a big step back offensively. I know they had injuries and stuff, but I mean, they went, they went to back-to-back nine, or they had back-to-back nine-win seasons and were really good offensively, and most people up there attribute that to him being on staff. Drinkwitz's background, he is from the state, uh, well, he's originally from Norman, Oklahoma. Went to Arkansas Tech. How about four years at Springdale High School in Springdale, Arkansas, as an offensive coordinator. Worked as a quality control guy at Auburn. Went to Arkansas State with Gus. Then went to Boise State. Most recently at NC State as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, and obviously this season 11-1 and at Appalachian State. That's three guys with pretty good resumes. He also is young. Eli Drinkwitz is uh, 36 years old. I don't remember how old Mike Norvell is. You've got uh, 40-year-old Billy Napier. And let's see, Norvell is 38. Young guys are the trend. Gus was at that Springdale High School from 01 to 05, and Drinkwitz was there 06 to 09. Okay, so he followed Gus. Yeah, but he wasn't the head coach. Right. He also looks like every pledge on Fraternity Row. (laughs) So he'd fit in. All right, so beyond those three names... Make him eat dip in the opening presser. Who should we... <laughs> Who? What other name should we be looking at? People talk about Lane Kiffin. Um, okay. And, of course, you know you had the flight tracker thing yesterday with a plane that left the Boca Raton area and flew to Springdale, Arkansas, and a bunch of reporters waited for somebody to get off the plane, and they turned off the lights, and everybody thought it was Kiffin, and it turns out... It, it was not Kiffin, but... But by all accounts, Kiffin interviewed for the Arkansas job uh, yesterday or today. Right. And he did follow some Ole Miss people on Twitter. I know that doesn't really mean much, but I wonder how that would be received if they were to go that route. Initial excitement. Would it last? I have no idea if it would last, but you talk about needing to make a splashy hire that would sell tickets. I think that would be on the extreme end of flashy. Two years as the head coach of the Oakland Raiders, one year at Tennessee, four years at Southern Cal, fired during the season, three years as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Alabama, parlayed that into FAU, 2017, 2018, 2019. 5-15 as an NFL head coach, 60-34 and 34 as a college head coach. So year by year, his collegiate coaching records. 7-6 and six at Tennessee, 
eight and five, ten and two, seven and six, three and two at Southern Cal, and at Florida Atlantic, eleven and three, five and seven last year, bounced back with a nine and three season this year, and won the Eastern Division of Conference USA. Would he recruit well enough to be competitive? I don't know. Because he, I mean, just, he seems kind it of. It just flaky. feels like with Lane Kiffin, you're getting extra stuff. Yeah. Richard, I have a yes or no hey question. Dad. I got a yes or no question for you. Ready? Is Joe Brady going to be a head coach one day? Yes. Pull the trigger. Do it now. That's the guy. You don't think it's too soon? It, 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 is he good? He was good as a co-offensive coordinator. If, if you think he's going to be a, an outstanding head coach one day down the road, just go ahead and do it. Well, I guess my question is, though, is there enough seasoning? I mean, Ed Ogeron has turned into a good head coach down the road. He wasn't a good head coach 12 years ago. We'll continue the conversation with you next in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. We're just kind of talking some names and not doing so in an irresponsible way. It's just brand new, and so it feels like kind of everything at this point is on the table for Ole Miss as they begin a coaching search to replace Matt Luke. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey with you on this Monday afternoon. On Thursday, the JT Show, The Eagle Hour, and Good Things will be at the Marion County Development Christmas Festival uh, You'll hear about the incredible things they're doing to bring jobs and businesses to their county and how other Mississippi counties can do the same. That's the JT Show, the Eagle Hour, and Good Things, all in Columbia at the Marion County Courthouse on Thursday. So be sure and check that out again. uh, Sports Talk Mississippi will be at the C Spire Connerly Trophy presentation leading up to uh, that ceremony tomorrow night. And... uh, Looking forward to being back there at the Country Club of Jackson uh, once again this year. So the names we mentioned that are kind of at the top of the list and are getting the most traction just right out of the gate in Ole Miss's coaching search, um, Mike Norvell at Memphis, Billy Napier at Louisiana Lafayette, Eli Drinkwitz's name is out there as the head coach just finished his first year, at least in the regular season, at uh, Appalachian State. Lane Kiffin at Florida Atlantic. What about Brian Harson? That's a name that's been thrown around a little bit. Currently the head coach at Boise State. He's done a good job there. Spent one season at uh, Arkansas State. He was the guy that followed Gus, who followed Hugh Freeze, and was directly in front of um, Blake Anderson, who's there now. As a head coach, he is 70 and 21, and at Boise State, he's 63 and 16, which is pretty strong. Um, he's a candidate at Missouri, apparently. But if you want him, you can get him over Missouri. I mean, Ole Miss is, no you know, state fans will roll their eyes. Ole Miss is a better college football job than Missouri fact. Hey, Dad, rank the three jobs that are currently open in the SEC. Missouri, 
Arkansas, mm. and Ole Miss. Oof. I think in terms of it feels of like they're long, kind of all in the same trough. They they are they are and 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 if, if Mississippi State and, and if Mississippi State was open, they'd be in the same trough. Trough's not the right word. That sounds bad. It's yeah, in the it same does. tier. I, I, that was poor. Same bucket, same trench. Tier, if you want to use we'll a, yeah. uh, I, th- I think uh, the only use a mortgage term. I think if you're talking about you know from from bottom to top, Vanderbilt is in the bottom by itself just because they have so many other issues. And then yeah, I would put <laughs> State, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Missouri, maybe even Kentucky in this in this South Carolina tier. South Carolina I think has a little bit higher ceiling. Even with Clemson there, I, I believe that. That's why I'm not a huge Muschamp fan, because I feel like he's really underachieving. Um, but that said, if I'm going to rank them, I think for terms of long-term success, I would go Arkansas, Ole Miss, Missouri. Okay. What separates Arkansas and Ole Miss for you? Um, You're the only... Not, not, I know from a talent perspective, Arkansas doesn't put out a whole lot, but you're the only major university in that state versus here you have Mississippi State to work against. Um, I think they, they have a, a little bit better tradition. They probably got a little bit more money you know, because the Waltons are there and they, they're willing to cut some checks every now and then. Um, I, just, I just feel like they got a little bit more fan support. It, it, it's not it's not a huge difference. The problem with it is, I think in terms of ceiling, like right now, probably not a huge difference. Ole Miss might even be ahead right now. But long term, I think Arkansas has a longer has a better ceiling than Ole Miss does. All right, so that was a bunch of young guys, and fifty nine is older than those other guys. That's how old Willie Fritz is. He was the head coach of the Central Missouri Mules of the Mid America Intercollegiate Athletics Association from nineteen ninety seven to two thousand nine, went ninety seven and forty seven, spent four years at Sam Houston State in the Southland Conference, went forty and fifteen in four years, spent two years at Georgia Southern, went seventeen and seven, and at Tulane is twenty two and seven in four years, including six and six this season. Didn't he go to the national championship a couple of times at Sam Houston State? Different level, but still noteworthy. He lost the championship game back-to-back years, 2011, 2012. 2011 to 2012. Tulane's a tough job, too. Does that do anything for you, Willie Fritz? Keep in mind, right now, Will Hall is Willie Fritz offensive coordinator this is educated speculation here if Willie Fritz gets the job at Ole Miss Will Hall is not coming with him right Will Hall will be named as the next coach head coach at Tulane I would think John Rice Plumley would be thrilled with Willie Fritz perhaps yeah. whereas with my suggestion Joe Brady Matt Corral would be thrilled is that splashy enough? Because Fritz is a little bit older, and another that's, element of this is you have to sell tickets. I'm not saying right, wrong, or indifferent, or he wouldn't be a good fit, but that's something you've got to take into account here. That that's what I was thinking too. That into, I mean, the answer there'd be no. a lot of who and oh, we hired who. I don't think. And they did sputter to the finish this year. They got off to a really hot start. What did they lose? Their last five games. Um, are going to scrape into a bowl game just because. But uh, if you're looking for a splash, I don't think that's where you find it. Now, if it's the right football coach, then hire him because you think he's the best chance to win. But if you're looking for splash, he does not bring that splash. 
Anybody else? I think Will Healy's interesting. Like with your comment on Joe Brady, it's probably too soon. Um, at least with Will Healy, he's been a head coach at multiple places. And just fin- just finished his first year at UNC Charlotte, or I think they just call themselves Charlotte now. They do. And before that, pretty remarkable turnaround at Austin P. That's a job when he took over that people were talking about maybe we shouldn't play football anymore. How many times does Austin P. have to be turned around? <laughs> well, well uh, their playoff win this year, people attribute to him. Not entirely, well, but he left a, a solid program behind to where it was taken over by, and it goes from there. Ole Miss probably doesn't want anybody with a connection to P, though. Nice. You just can't help yourself, can you? I can't, and I won't either. Um, People talk about him like he's the the next P.J. Fleck, though. I mean, young, dynamic personality. If you want to win the press conference, that dude will win you a press conference. I don't know if you've ever watched him speak before. Very uh, motivational. And also, clearly, can coach football. In his first year, Charlotte went to their first bowl game. Means something. What a... Is there a legit chance that this ends up with Mike McIntyre? I don't think so. I don't think so either. And, and that's not a shot. I just, I don't think, hey, Dad, that Ole Miss can endure the optics of having a fourth consecutive major hire, head football coach, chancellor, Athletics director, head football coach, in which you don't really leave the area code. Or the campus. Understand. Zip code would be fine. I mean, they left campus kind of with the chancellor hire. Kind of. I just don't think the optics of that work. Not not at a time... And, and and I thought there was a great deal of awareness and honesty from Keith Carter today. And and I just don't see a scenario where he can have that level of awareness in that press conference today and then hire hey, Rippy, you asked the question. I mean I prob I knew the answer to it, but it needed to be asked just because like I said, their last three major searches have ended, you know. Down the hall. So, like, I don't think the guy that runs the Ventura firm will be getting the job. No, I don't think Chad Chatlos is a football coach. I don't think. <laughs> um, what about Power 5 coordinators? Is there anybody that stands out? Beyond Brady? Um, and he's not even a coordinator. No, but it doesn't matter. That's the thing right now. Like, there's not a, a Dan Mullen, right? Who, who's the Dan Mullen right now? Who's the, I mean, the offensive coordinator at Clemson, maybe? Jeff Scott, yeah, but that's that, that's a good choice. But, I mean, Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley, Steve Sarkeesian. <laughs> he can take up AK's old stool in the square. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.